Well, good morning, good morning. It's always good to see you guys, especially today on Palm Sunday. Um, as you know, I always like to encourage you to, you know, to pray and to read the Word of God. So let me encourage you, I, I, I encourage you to find someone to be praying with. Let me encourage you to read the Word of God, but let me give you a text. In light of Easter, why not read the passage that's all about the gospel message in which Easter is all about? So I encourage you, read 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm sorry, chapter 15, verses 3 through 5. It summarizes the the gospel message. That is the gospel. When you believe that, share that with whoever you come in contact with. Uh, That's what our faith is based on. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 5. And also, you know, I always like to encourage you guys to to pray about maybe sharing the gospel with someone. Let me give you a little tip how how to do it, right? Sometimes you may come up like, how am I supposed to do this? You know what? People love talking about change. Everything's changing. Everything's changing, 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 changing. Right? Whether it's politics, the nation, the world, whatever it may be. And as you're having that conversation, you know what a great lead into the gospel would be? is, Yeah, everything's changing. But you know what stays the same? Jesus and his death for me and how he's risen again. I had that conversation the other day with a neighbor. It just led right in it. We've been praying about it and got to talk to my neighbor. Amen. Got to share the gospel, and that's just the way of leading. Let me tell you what doesn't change. Jesus Christ. So let's go to the Lord now in prayer and see how he convicts our hearts to trust in him even more. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, this time of coming together. It's a wonderful hearing the, your, your, your majesty being proclaimed through song. God, I pray that this just encourages us. May that fill our minds and fill our, our heads Rather than all the bickering and chaos going in the world, remind us that you are truly sovereign and in control of all things. Help us to remember, Lord, that you sent your Son out of love for us. Not because we were good enough, not because we had it all together, but because we were sinners. And you loved us. And today marks that day of of how the the start of the week happened that will ultimately lead to our salvation. Be with those who are around the world, who are meeting in different ways, different avenues, who are gathering under your word and your name. Be with those who are watching online. Be with those who weren't able to make it here today. And be with all of us, Lord, to remind all of us that if we trust in you, it's going to be okay. Because everything works out for the good of those who love you. And God, we love you. We pray this, Lord, in your name. Convict us of our sins so we can just throw it down at the cross. And know that we have been forgiven by faith in your son. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I don't know if you guys have, have picked up recently or maybe the time I've been here. You know, when I, when I preach a sermon, my primary goal is to have you know and to trust in Jesus more than you did than when you first walked in this room. That's my goal. All my energy is focused on having you walk away from here saying, wow, what an amazing Savior I have in Jesus Christ. For truly, His love for me is remarkable. Or unremarkable. And unconditional. His grace over me is, is never ending. His, he is greater than all of my sin. He has paid it all. 
paid it all with his life by faith in him alone. You know, when you, when you leave this place, you know, I, I want you to leave in, in awe of Jesus Christ. Not in awe of what you have to do. <laughs> you know, to see him greater than you did before and to see yourself lesser than you did before. To trust in him more than you did before and to trust in yourself less or anything else in this world less. When you leave, the focus should be on Christ and not you. You know, to leave and rest in Christ's finished works rather than your own saying, wow, all has been done by faith in him alone. It is truly finished. For that's all of our struggle keeping focus on Christ rather than ourselves, to see his agenda above our own, to see his purpose rather than our own, to see his final goal of all things rather than our own, to see his own ways rather than our ways. Because when we don't and we have us in the spotlight rather than Christ, we forget or, or, or when we forget about it or overlook the gospel message, we end up sadly misrepresenting who Christ truly is or miss the real reason as to why he came, which consequently has effects on how we live and interact with each other and others in the world. If the focus is on him, then selflessness and love just bubbles over and overflows from us by faith in Christ. But if the focus is on us, then sadly self-righteousness and selfishness is what comes oozing out. That's why it's so vital to be refreshed by the gospel every day through his written word. You know, the, the, the Bible which ultimately ends up pointing to the gospel message in which we believe in. And sadly, today, we're going to see a bunch, how a bunch of people were coming to Jesus to celebrate him, but they were coming to celebrate him with themselves in focus, with their own agenda at hand rather than his. But praise be to God, right, that we now by faith in Christ can now see Jesus Christ for who he truly is. So though the people in the text today missed the purpose of Christ and who he was, we as the readers of the text can now see his true purpose and see him who he, for who he truly is. So our text today is John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. The triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. And our title today is Know Your Jesus. Now, when, when we read this text, Right? John wants us to read it and see it in light, in light of Jesus so that we can believe in him right? in light of his coming and to trust in him more than we ever did before. And maybe for some of you out there, even trust in him for the very first time. The apostle John who wrote this book, it was named after him, John. It says in John chapter 20, verse 31, at the end of this book, he tells us the whole reason why he wrote it. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have 
life in his name. So let us be encouraged then on this Palm Sunday and to learn about our Lord and Savior then, Jesus Christ. So in this beginning of the passage of John chapter 12, verses 12 through 13, John lays out the scene. The next day, the large crowd had come to the feast, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took palm branches and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Now, one of the first things you probably should be wondering is, what exactly is this feast that would have crowds of people in Jerusalem? Why on earth also would they go to see Jesus if they were there for the feast? They weren't there for him, so why are they running out? And this brings us to our first point. He came as the great king. So in this context, Jesus Christ is coming down to Jerusalem on a, on a Sunday. But it wasn't just kind of any old week. It was the week of prepping for the feast. But again, like John, what is the feast? Well, John is referring to the Passover. Jews came from all over the world or around, per se, to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, which symbolized when God had rescued the Jews from slavery from the Egyptians way back in the Old Testament, way before Jesus shows up on the scene physically here. It's a long time ago. The Passover feast then that they were celebrating was all about how the Jewish people were oppressed and enslaved by the Egyptians. And um, what they did was they took lamb's blood. This is during when they were enslaved. They took lamb's blood and, and smeared it upon their doorposts so that when God came to rescue them from the Egyptians, when the judgment of God came upon the land of Egypt... His judgment would only strike the Egyptians and not the Jews. You can read about this in Exodus, the Old Testament, chapter 12, verses 21 through 23. It says this, Then Moses called the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lentil and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. Now, uh, none of you shall go out of the door, out of his house, until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel, on the, two door, on the doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to, to enter or strike your, uh, to strike you. So the feast in which John mentions here in John chapter 12, verse 12, is the Passover feast. That's what John's speaking of here. So they're celebrating the, the celebration of freedom when God freed them from the Egyptians. Uh, this, this celebration was going to happen later on in the week that they were going to do. They were prepping for it. And here's the thing. For, again, a bigger context. And during Jesus' time, right, they're no longer under the Egyptians, but in Jesus' time, the Jews were somewhat oppressed by the Roman authorities who were over them. So they weren't oppressing them exactly the same like being slaves, like they were back in Egypt, 
but they were not a free people nonetheless. They were not a sovereign nation, if you will. They were under a Roman rule, and they didn't like this. So this Passover feast then really meant something to them. They wanted freedom again, right? So it represented it, it represented God saving them. They wanted freedom from the Romans. So there was a lot of looking and speaking of a future leader that, that God would send to save them and bring that type of freedom again. So in verse 12, when the crowds heard Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, when they get all excited and they go running after him, they are thinking that Christ is the guy that's going to save them. For they were looking for a savior of some type that was on all of their minds. And Christ had an amazing history of doing some amazing miracles. Things that even the most powerful of leaders could never accomplish, like bringing people back from the dead. In fact, that was the whole reason why they went to celebrate then Jesus coming to Jerusalem during this Passover. It says in verses 17 and 18 that the crowds that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb, raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. They were looking for this powerful leader to free them from the Roman Empire and become their new king here on earth. And what better person to do that than someone who can raise the dead? He was the one powerful enough to fulfill their political agenda and bring political freedom. For in their minds, the evil that needed to be dealt with was out there. The others, those Romans, those wretched sinners that were making their lives miserably hard, that they were making policies that were encroaching on their freedom, those evil leaders that stood for immoral things and letting those immoral ways come and infect their culture and their ways, those Romans had no godly values. Those Roman leaders were worthless, powerful, so they, but, but they were still powerful, so they needed a person who was more powerful than the Romans that could lead them. And that's why they ran to Jesus, for he was the one that could change all of that. Again, I mean, think of it this way. If Jesus could bring back someone from the dead, imagine the type of army of men that he could create. With all the miracles that he has already done and the fact that he could bring people back to life, what would an army led by such a person ever have to fear? So they ran to him, as it says in John verse 13, with branches of palm trees, went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. With palm branches at hand, they were roughly shouting, if you want to know what they were saying here, they were roughly shouting Psalm 118, verses 25 through 26. You can go back and read it. They were crying, they cried out, Hosanna, which means save us or save us now. It's a way of crying out to the Lord in worship for this divine deliverance. It's a, it's a summary, if you will, of Psalm 118, verse 25, which says, save us we pray, O oh Lord, O oh Lord, we pray, give us success. And then they partially quoted verbatim the next verse of Psalm 118, verse 26, which says exactly what they said here in John. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Because Psalm 118 
from what they were roughly quoting from, was essentially all about this Messiah figure, this, this anointed one coming, or the blessed one, as it says in the psalm. This psalm was all about this future one who would come and save the people of God. And these people who were prepping for the Passover also saw it as such. And this Jesus was the one in their eyes that was going to fulfill it. The psalm was all about someone saving them. And, and they were right in one sense. For he was coming to fulfill that psalm. But they, at least for the moment, were way off because they were coming to Jesus on their own terms. They were coming to Jesus not with him in focus, but themselves as the focus. They were making it all about them and using Jesus to do their will and their desires rather than going to Jesus to joyfully do his will and his desires to look to him and trust in him. He just becomes a tool to get what they wanted. And how do we know this? Maybe I'm just going out of, maybe I'm saying too much. Well, when you look at the text, they weren't, they, they were not only just coming because of the sign of Lazarus, right? Coming back to life, right? They were already, their view is they're focusing on the gifts rather than the giver. But they also, as you can see, viewed him in light of Psalm 118 as they added something. Even the king of Israel, that part isn't in the psalm. For for they were right then that he was a king to see it in such, but he didn't, and he was coming to save them as king. But the enemy, this is where they were wrong, the enemy that he was saving them from was not the Romans, but themselves. Christ was coming to save them from their sins. He was coming to save them from their dark hearts, coming to save them from their self-righteousness, their pride. Christ was coming to set up a kingdom, they were right, but not one that was, not one of this earth like they wanted. He was coming to set up a kingdom that would at some time come to the earth fully. But he was coming up to set up a a spiritual kingdom in which he had to die for. But here's the thing. He was not only dying for them. He was also dying for the very Romans that were oppressing them. Christ was coming to die and save their very enemies just as he was coming to die and save them. For the true problem was not the people around them, but the very sin that affected everyone, including them. For this king that they have rightly identified in some sense was truly a greater king than they could imagine. For this king was coming as a conquering king, but he came to conquer sin and death that held everyone, including us, in bondage. He came to appease the wrath of God in which we fully deserve. No matter what side of the political spectrum anyone was or is even currently in today's world. All are in need of God's grace. All will fall under the wrath of God. He came to do his father's will to truly save us from our sin. 
For God demands perfection of us. And Christ came out of the Father's love to fulfill that perfection for us. To fulfill the per- perfect obedience required for salvation. For, for all people by faith in him. Jesus came as the king, the king of kings. He came as the humble and gracious king. And this brings us to our second point. He came to bring peace. John 14 through 15 says, And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Here John points out that Jesus was not coming as the militant king that the Jews were looking for. But he was coming as the king of true peace, the giver of peace for all men. Christ came on a mission to accomplish. Hence, it says in verse 14, just as it it was written. Jesus had a mission of not being a martyr for people to look up to. Not just being an example of someone who lives a perfect life after following after God. No, his mission was to be the very sacrifice for our sins to create peace between God and us. For he was what the Passover feast, what they're all celebrating, he was what the Passover feast was all about. And, and that is why, and, and what they were celebrating at the end of the week ultimately pointed to him. For it was his blood that was going to be spilt. It's his blood that would cover us from the judgment to come. Sin was the oppressor. For just as God passed over the people in the Old Testament, the Jewish people who had lamb's blood on the doorpost and he didn't visit judgment on them, but rather peace. They could have a peace of mind. Peace to know that God is with them. Christ does the very same thing with us. He came to cover us with his blood so that we do not have to face the judgment for our sins, but can have peace with God. He took the punishment. He came to take their sins and the Roman sins, the world's sins, anyone who would believe upon him. He came to save us from ourselves and the wrath to come so we can have peace with God, just as John 1.29 says. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was his mission for you and me and them. That by faith in him we would be saved and stay saved all through faith in him even though we fail him every day. Jesus' blood covers us from any wrath that we deserve. We now have peace. He is our peace all by trusting in Christ. And now, rather, we only get grace and love and blessings from our God by faith alone in Jesus Christ, not because of our obedience to him, because our obedience is always imperfect. It could always be better. We could always do a little bit more, sacrifice a little bit more, be a little bit more loving, be more patient, be more giving, be more, be more, be more. Because here's the thing, even though... We need to understand that God gave Christ as the perfection we look to. For we don't earn anything from God. We do things because of what has been done for us in Jesus Christ. He earned everything for us already by his perfect obedience on our behalf. That's why Christ came. Because we can't do it. 
So by Christ coming in on a donkey then, he not only fulfills that prophecy, which John roughly quotes from Zechariah 9.9, and if you go back and you want to read it, Zechariah 9.9, back in the Old Testament, you'll see that Paul, I'm sorry, John, changes that verse a little bit. Um, he, for in the original, Zechariah 9.9, it, it says, Rejoice greatly, as compared with John says, fear not. He changes it. And why he changed it, I'm not exactly sure. But when you look at the text that John is writing, you see John is the one that put that there. He's injecting his commentary here on this whole event. This Zechariah passage was not stated by the people in the crowds. It's placed here by John. So John is roughly quoting then this Zachary passage in light of Christ's coming when we look at it and fulfilling it so that we, as he stated earlier, will, have, will believe in Christ. So we can say then in some sense, John is revealing here that we, all people, should not fear Christ. He is not a tyrant who we need to cower before even though he's king. For he did not come, John is saying, to judge us for our sins. He came to take the judgment for our sins. He came humbly on a donkey to give us peace with God. He did not come to make war with us. He came to serve us and save us. He did not come with a war cry but gracefully came saying, as stated in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He didn't come to wage war with you. He came to make peace. So we should go to him by faith for his hand is extended to us in peace. There's no sin that can keep us away from him. For unlike what those, those in the crowd wanted, they wanted war. Christ did not come to make war with the Romans. Or for our context of life, Christ did not come to make war with our enemies or even us. He came to save us by serving us, serving us with his life, and even serving our most hated enemies in this world through the cross. He came to give us and them and this world true freedom to release us from the bondage of this world and its tyrannical system of sin and death, and to give us everlasting life by faith in him alone. Think of it this way. If we have faith in Christ, then, all of us here, if we have faith in Christ and have been freed from this world to follow after our Savior who came not for war, but came for peace, that's who we serve. You know what type of consequences then there is for following after such a gracious, loving, servant, Savior of peace? This means we too should be a people who reflect that we follow after of king of such gracious, loving, serving peace and not war. We should resist the, the great temptation of seeing ourselves at war with the world. 
but rather we should see ourselves as people who would bring peace to the world through serving them, by showing them King Jesus and speaking of his gospel message to them, a gospel of peace. Oh, how easy it is to want to be at war. Christ has come to end the war. So as we go about this ever-growing hostile world who criticize us for believing in the inspired word of God, we are to love them by graciously serving them and proclaiming to them the gracious truth of King Jesus Christ. The King of Peace. For we are not trying to protect an earthly kingdom, but rather we are proclaiming that there is an eternal heavenly kingdom that has been achieved for us by faith in Christ alone, that all are welcome to a kingdom of eternal life and peace. Then John says in verse 16, and his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things that had been written about him and had been done to him. And this brings us to our last point. He came to save. We're coming to an end. And what you have here is John commenting that even the disciples, which he was a part of, did not fully grasp what was going on until after Jesus was glorified or until after the resurrection when he came back to life. So it was not until the gospel was accomplished, which is summarized in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4, which I recommend you guys read. It was then the apostles were able to look back and truly see what an amazing Savior Jesus is and how true that is of us. We too, when we forget to look at the gospel message, to look back, we, when we lose sight of Jesus' purpose here on earth, we consequently lose sight of how to love our enemies and how to love each other and how to interact with each other when we forget the gospel. This is why we must always keep the gospel at hand and see it through the lens in what Jesus, see this world through what Jesus has done. We are to read the word of God and interact with the world around us, always remembering what Jesus has done for us by faith in him. So, so, we, so in one sense, we then are free to give all away in some regard because we have everything we need in Jesus. The more we focus on Christ and his finished works, the more we can enjoy our freedom that he has given us in this world. And as we close, some of you might notice here then, I actually have said nothing of the palm branches. And today's Palm Sunday, so why not? Well, I guess I should, so... And this is Bill Short. John is, is the only one here to um, account in this triumphal entry to men mention psalms. Or I'm sorry, palms. Psalms. <laughs> and it's a bit strange because palms are not associated with the Passover feast. It's associated with other feasts. But when you look at this from one perspective, right? When we're seeing it as Christ fulfilling everything, right? We can see that the crowds, right, when we're looking at this, are unknowingly, unknowingly revealing more than they realized about King Jesus, right? He's a true king. 
And even those then who fully opposed him were doing the very same thing. For the Pharisees, at the very last verse of our text today, who criticize him are revealing more about him than they realize. It says in verse 19, so the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. And truly, both the crowds and the Pharisees were only stating the truth of what Christ was really accomplishing and what he would accomplish. And they didn't even know it. But when we read it, we can see the victory of Jesus. For when we look at the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, which John also wrote, there's another scene that's very reminiscent of this triumphal entry. where people have palm branches at hand and are shouting praises. And it's a scene where people from all nations, all tribes of all types, all types of people are gathered together, uniting in the name of the true Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, who is the savior of the world by faith in him alone. It says in Revelation chapter seven, verses nine through 10, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne to the Lamb. So let us see then Palm Sunday as a day for victory for us in Christ. For he has defeated the power of sin and death and now offers eternal life to us by faith in him. So let us live in that message and let us declare that message to all. For Christ is truly our Savior. He is the true King who has done it all for us to be with Him forever in glory, all by faith alone. Amen. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. The deacons will come up and you can pray with them if you'd like. Or pray here, pray there, wherever you want to pray. And just go to Jesus. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. Truly, You are a magnificent king. And we get to see the end. Your victory. Because that's how we live in your victory. That though this world tries to take away, as the Pharisees said, look, we gain nothing. This world is gaining nothing. The more they strip away from us, the more they try to take from us, It's only gain because your gospel, your sufficiency shines through. You shine through us. And that's what draws people to you, your grace. And that's the message we speak of, how you have sent your son to be our everything. Lord, I pray we can take that message out to the world and rest in that message because we just can't help but speak of it. God, if there's someone that doesn't know you here today, I pray they come to know you today. And just repent of their sins saying, God, I need you. I am not good enough. But your son is. 
God, I pray too, if someone's struggling here today as a believer in you and they have forgotten the purpose, your purpose, and they're struggling with relationship issues, with family issues, work issues, personal issues, worry, doubt, God, that you go to them to remind them that you sent your son as king and he is the king over them and, he, and, and, and you love them. And you're working all things in their good. Even if they can't see it, they can trust in you and following after your ways. And you will lead them on paths of righteousness by your power. Lord, I pray that we can just be at peace knowing that your son has done it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.